Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now, Chris. Come on down. Thank you, Marion. <clears throat> so here is tonight's joke. Chris, alcoholic. There he is. <laughs> that's not a joke. That's dead serious, unfortunately. <laughs> or fortunately, I'm grateful. Uh, the lush, Okay, here's the joke. The lush sat drinking at his kitchen table, complaining to his wife that his bartender didn't understand him. <laughs> All right, thank you, Chris. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Marianne. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise, that might or will distract others. Take, the, take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's...
time for us to say the fog light prayer. It's on the screens to your left, my left and right. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And I have asked Stephanie to come and read the spiritual experience. I'm Stephanie, recovered alcoholic. The spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experience must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular excuse me spectacular upheavals happily for everyone this conclusion is erroneous in the first few chapters a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described though it was not our intention to create such an impression that many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change of feeling and outlook. Among rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformation through frequent, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could have hardly been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With a few exceptions to our members, find that they have tapped into unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. And most of us think this awareness of this power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it a God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness is the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle 
which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is the concept uh, contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you. Or are supposed to read something else? Please refrain from disturbing others by talking and constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane, meeting mode, or just turn it off. And it is my honor and privilege to call up a mighty man of God who shouts that from the rooftops like we hear over and over again. And nothing, and I know, I know what he's like behind closed doors. I know his walk with God. And anything that gets in the way of that man has got to go. If, if this man between his relationship with him, God, and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I give you Peter M. What about behind closed doors? What was that? <laughs> All right. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, thank you for the group for having me again um, and keeping the doors open. Uh, I've said this a million times. This room is just great looking. And it's something when you walk in here, it kind of commands respect. Uh, and that's because of the trusted member, group members here, trusted servants who do all the work here. Um, before we get going, I just want to acknowledge Mike Chase in the back uh, celebrating uh, 16 years sober. So congratulations. Uh, June 23rd, 1988 is when a loving God separated me from alcohol, and I'm very grateful for this uh, gift of sobriety. I'm uh, very grateful for this fellowship, which was a band-aid on an open wound when I arrived here in 1988. Uh, albeit I tried it a few times, I would show up to AA meetings uh, back in Brooklyn, New York. You can tell I'm from Brooklyn and not from Oklahoma, by the way I speak. Um, but I would show up uh, drunk, pinned up against the back of the wall, and if it was a go-around, I'd raise my hand and critique the speaker and drop F-bombs like they were proper language. And the only thing that happened was people in AA said, keep coming back. And back in the day, we used to pass phone numbers out, and you got a little AA black book with the phone numbers. And I had all these phone numbers, and I'd come to the next morning, and sometimes I didn't know where the phone numbers came from because I couldn't remember being at the meeting because I was in a blackout. But... Um, <clears throat> When I got here in 1988, I really wasn't sure, and I've shared this so many times, uh, where I was going. I knew nothing about recovery after seven treatment centers and having the H&I folks bring meetings in and watching the Father Martin Chalk Talks back in the day in treatment. And they would take us to some meetings. Every so often, we would go to an outside meeting. I had no clue. In fact, in 1988, I was, uh, went from Long Island, New York, in treatment to Minnesota, and uh, they had pictures of Bill and Bob on the wall at some of the clubhouses. I didn't even know who they were. To me, they looked like two feds hanging out. I figured somebody knew them. I, I, you know, they were dressed different back in the day. Um, and I, I didn't know who they were. 
And an old timer told me that's Bill and Bob. I said, okay, I got it. And they're the co-founders of this thing I belong to. I didn't even grasp what co-founder meant. It was too far away, 1930s. I'm in 1988, and I, I, I can't bite this yet. And a few weeks later at the same clubhouse, there was a guy, who a new guy, because I had like maybe three weeks now, and he was new. And uh, I says, that's Bill and Bob. And that same old time, he says, no, that's Bill and that's Bob. So I'm clueless. I saw the steps. I saw traditions, which was basically Latin to me. Uh, I don't know anything. Now, at the time, I wanted to know a lot. And I wanted to listen to the people who walked before me. You know, you have the AA language we learn in here and the little sound bites, little catchy phrases. And I wanted to come up with that and, and at a meeting and share it. Um, and I did a few times, and it never felt genuine because I didn't even know what I was saying. First things first. I would say that from the back of the room, sober, but I didn't understand what first things first means. It's just what people say, so I want to be part of the club. Bill called it the herd and say, I'm going to be part of this thing. Now, even though I had no idea what I was talking about, my intent to belong was true. Because I've said this from a bunch of podiums. I knew this was it. Deep down in my soul, not the head. That's the troublemaker. That's, that's the part of me that doesn't work. It'll never work. And if you knew, never listen to the mind because it's a failed uh, system. It doesn't work. It'll lie. And, uh, but the intent to get in this place, to be a part of this team, to get in this club was true because I knew this was it. There was nowhere else to go. And even though I was still delusional at times and still, I still really didn't land yet, but I can still see albeit the glasses were a little smudged that I was looking through, if you will, I can still see how you guys were walking around and you just seemed to be walking different. And it wasn't necessarily what you were saying. It was the walk was the sermon. And God was planting seeds in my life right from the get-go. And I would see how you guys would interact by the coffee pot and laughing before the meeting. You know that, that, that stuff we hear before the meeting, the AA stuff that goes on. It's loud. We're laughing. We're cutting up. And I'm just full of me. Yeah. Now, I can understand that. I just came off the streets. I had been living in an abandoned building. I was panhandling. I was homeless. I have seven treatment centers under my belt, and my life is in the toilet. I have no relationship. My family wants nothing to do with me. I don't have a job, and I have no money, and I'm basically hanging on by a thread. And I couldn't get, why are they laughing? You're supposed to be serious in AA. And the more spiritual you are, the more serious I am, because I've taken life here. And, I, and, and in old times, no, 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 no. It's about experiencing freedom in Alcoholics Anonymous. See, we go through the steps. I think I mentioned this last week, and I got into this worshiping mechanics and having this ego-driven recovery and locked up into that and never able to open up, as my sponsor once said, open up your top, top button and kick back and relax and just enjoy the ride. He said, how could you enjoy the ride? He says, hey, hey, no enjoyment here. You've got to write inventory and find out how sick and miserable you really are. Well, I will find that out. But what 4 through 9 is going to do is going to bring debt to that self. It's going to bring debt to that ego. It'll always be there, but take a lot of wind out of its sails. Bring debt to self-will and life to the spirit. Yeah? And that's what began to happen. Not on my time and when I least expected it, but it was several years in Alcoholics Anonymous where I started to see and hear different. And the longer I've been here, I've found it it's so important for someone like me to share with you where I'm at sometimes. 
and sometimes come in here and put the cards face up for you, not for shock value. But because I've gone through the steps, it doesn't mean I've transcended life circumstances. Life happens. But my navigation tool is completely changed, and the eyes at which I see and the ears at which I hear all come from the soul. But if I'm not careful, they, they start to come from the mind again, where all the defects of character lives, all the befores and later-ons, before and later-ons, all my mind's capable of doing. And I'm never ever present. I'm worried about what you're thinking of me all the time. I'm worrying about how I sound, how I appear to you. Was I okay? That kind of stuff. What bondage? And there's no space for God in that place. And if I truly, truly want to tell you I have a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, well, the human part of me is going to get caught up in some of that stuff. But overall, I'm not really concerned with that so much. That's called freedom. It's not bondage of self. It's no longer troubles and difficulties. It is what it is. And there was a tremendous, it was an aha moment one day. And it, it was probably God working on me for a long time, but you just you kind of break through a wall where you come to terms with how broken and flawed I was. And I knew the ego wasn't present because I found, I found uh, 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 freedom in that, liberation in that, and realizing how broken and flawed I am, that this mind does not know God's light. It only knows darkness that this mind gets frustrated with stillness. It's out of work. Like when I'm meditating, it's what's this inactivity we're doing? We need to do something so we remember something and locks in and off we go on another narrative, another story. Then I try to get back to meditation and all the mind does is get frustrated when we talk about God, start to live with God, start to, to, to uh, express God in our words and don't go to meditation and certainly don't pray because the, don't pray because the mind is out of work now. It doesn't like the inactivity. It feels like it's being suffocated, which is a good thing. I've been so programmed in listening to my mind. I mean, think about it from the time where, especially I know for guys, be a man's man, make your own decisions, climb the corporate ladder. My sponsor says he climbed the corporate ladder, except when he put the ladder against the wall. When he got to the top, he realized he was against the wrong wall. Be a self-made man. Think on your feet. We're programmed by loving people, by our schoolmates, by our peers, by the, even in AA sometimes. We're programmed to pay attention to this. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Then don't get back to me. If you don't think about it, don't get back to me. I'll figure this out. I know what I need to do. No, I don't. That's called managing and self-reliance. The answers don't come from the mind. The problems do. And it's such a huge shift. It's that 180 that I'm going to discount every single thing the mind tells me. I would love to report to you. I do that all the time, and I don't. As I said many times, one day God might make me a spiritual being, and one day God might make me an enlightened being, but one thing he's made me until I take my last breath is human being, which means I'm subject to break down at any moment and stop paying attention to this thing. Sometimes we call it daydreaming. I call it narrative. I'm off somewhere. I'm arguing. I hit the mega millions. We, I know some of us have done that already. You know, I'm going to be very charitable, God, if I hit. <clears throat> you know, I'm somewhere, but I'm not here. And sometimes the resentment will hook me from 20 years ago, and I played that one. 
And I, I heard someone say something wonderful. The mind, if, if you're a musician, you know what this means, to riff, just riffing. You know, musicians get together and they rehearse and you're playing something, I'll play off of that, then you play off of that. It just keeps going and going and going. And that's what the mind does. It, gets, it gives me one thing, it plays, I listen to it, play something else, and an hour goes by. And I've squandered a whole hour that I can't get back on stuff that's not even happening anymore. I've been in therapy over, over in my journey in AA five years and a few more years after that. A total around seven, eight years I spent in therapy, which is a wonderful thing. But at some point, I got to a place where I'm talking to this therapist about something that's not happening anymore. And at some point, I just kept replaying old stuff and trying to unravel another knot and another... At what point do I say, it's over? I'm not living my story anymore. I'm living my life. That's called freedom. And a good therapist will release me, say... For now, we're done. And that's what this gentleman did. He says, we've completed this body of work for now. You might be back. And I was. And I can go through the steps over and over and over again. I'm, a, I, I'm one of the guys who go through it once a year. I love, I love the effect produced by it. But am I talking about the same stuff every time I go through inventory? Are the same defects of character showing up for 20 years? Because it's not anything out there. Then it's me. My refusal to let go. I don't want to let go. I like the effect produced by this defect. It gives me a sense of identity. It gives me a sense of who I am. As painful as that is, as difficult as it is, I don't know what I'm going to be like if it take, you take it away. I'm so afraid of what I might become, I hold on to what I know. I do not let God bring me up to him. What I do is try to drag him down to me. So I go through this work, as recent as the last time, including the first time. And I think I shared this last week. Every time I go to the work, I'm really uncomfortable. And when I do four and five, I'm really uncomfortable. I'd rather not. I'd rather just tell you I'm good and let's move on. But I know it's necessary. And this journey in recovery, if I got what I wanted and did what I wanted, you have a different speaking here tonight. It's being disciplined to the spiritual life. And the part of me that really don't feel like sitting there for two hours and talking about me, my innermost self, is the ego. The spirit says, okay, I'm ready if you're ready. The spirit opens up my book. The spirit speaks for me and says, here's something I really don't want to tell anyone, but here it is. That's the soul speaking. The ego saying, don't do this. You might look bad. And some of my greatest growth has been through difficulty. And the only way we can get some humility is through pain and suffering. That's where humility is born out of, pain and suffering. Including when I walk in and I realize of myself I am nothing. I can't do this. I need help. And I hope this place works like nothing else. There's a force feeding of humility. That doesn't taste good, but it's necessary. So every time I finish a fifth step, I'm given some instructions. And what it talks about um, on page 75, it tells me what I do when I'm supposed to go home after, after I finish a fifth step. It says, returning home, I find a place where I can be quiet for now. My sponsor's here tonight, by the way. That's this place. <laughs> I already pissed somebody off. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
Um, returning home, I find a place where I can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what I've done. So in that, it's a little reflection, what I've just completed, this body of work in step five. I thank God from the bottom of my heart that I know him better. It's a little bit of a prayer. Even though I didn't experience it, I don't really know God much better. If anything, I'm relieved this thing is over. And I remember feeling I can go back to my home group and be like those old timers. I'm part of AA. I did a fifth step. I'm, I'm really in. I take this book down from the shelf and I turn to the 12 steps, page 59. And I read the first five proposals and I review one. Do I still believe I'm powerless over alcohol? My life on my own will, willpower is un, unmanageable. Do I get current unmanageability? Do I get unmanageability where I, I don't know what the day's going to look like when a drink shows up and I'll honor it and drink it? That I'm completely powerless, which means no choice and no control. Do I still got that? Not here, but in here. Am I, am I still willing to have this power greater than myself restore me to wholeness of mind, or do I think I can do it on my own? Do I think I can manage part of it now? And the ego likes to slide right and says, we got this. Give this to God, but we'll handle that. I love, I love hearing God's will, but today I like mine a little bit more. I like watching someone awaken, someone evolve, someone have this transformation. I love the beauty of it, which coexists with, but I don't want to do what they did to get there. Am I still willing to have God run my life in step three? turn everything over to him. Everything means everything. My relationship, my money, my career, all of it. Or my holding on to some. Now, I've left claw marks in many things. But I was willing to give it to God. And if I have a problem here, I just have to revisit step one. Have I omitted anything from building an archway to which I walk a free man at last? Is the work solid so far? The stone's in place. Skipped on the cement put into the foundation. Try to make mortar without sand. For me, Bill is asking the same question many, many times. If anyone's ever been in court and the opposing attorney starts asking you questions, trying to catch you in the lie, they ask you the same, I'm looking at Rich. They, they ask you the same question like 10 different, 10 different ways. And just when you think they're done, they go back to the very first question they started with. What, what Bill's doing here is asking me the same thing several times, trying to get to different people, different walks like to pay attention to this. In a nutshell, did I leave anything out? And if I can answer no, I move on. Now, I don't know if I shared this last week, but uh, there was an interesting thing that happened to me uh, about the third or fourth time through the work. And... Um, I was in that hour quiet time and getting still and following these directions. And when I got done reviewing, I just went into sacred silence and I started to become really, really uncomfortable. I was getting agitated. I was questioning everything. AA, God, my sponsor, the whole process. And I start to become physically uncomfortable, almost feeling like I'm coming down with the flu and anxiety. Like, what the heck is going on? I'm having a meltdown. I felt like I was dying. I interrupted the hour and went to the phone to call my sponsor. It was a gentleman from Texas named Mark Gates. I told him, here's what's going on. And he said to me, it sounds like you're having an experience and hung up the phone. <laughs> he didn't give me any feedback. He didn't talk me through it. He didn't talk me out of it. He didn't look to medicate me. He says, it sounds like you're having an experience and hung up the phone because it's exactly what was happening. And when the hour was done, I called him. Well, he called me, actually, 
And he knew what was happening to me. And he told me, he says, money, we've always talked about the death of self for successful living. He says, that's exactly what was going on. It wasn't my job right then and there to start talking you out of it. And he, and he related to the story where, where, where Silkworth walks in and sees Bill having this experience and Silkworth just left him alone. Mark was awake enough to understand what was happening to me. And my life changed a whole bunch that time. But going through that archway, it's narrow. It's passing through the eye of a needle. I can't carry anything through there. I need to go in through there raw. And I came out better. I came out changed. And what's really interesting how God worked, I wasn't saying to myself, oh, my God, I'm having a spiritual experience. I'm changing because that's just me inventing a spiritual experience. I had no clue what was going on. It was the death of self for successful living. And I get to step six, and it's if I can answer to those, those questions on page 75 to my satisfaction, I move forward. We talk about defects of character, and, um, you know, we look at selfishness and self-centeredness, uh, uh, the root of my problem on page 62, and we look at some other things that we're clear about. The first time through the work, I had an idea of what defects or shortcomings were eating my lunch, but not the depth of them. Those roots on defects from my own experience go really, really deep. They're not touched. They can't even be cured, touched, uh, worked on by a human hand. They must have the touch of the master's hand, otherwise they're gonna, just going gonna to disguise themselves. I'll try. When it comes to this stuff for me, Bill talks about separating the men from the women. For me, that interprets as how free do I want to be. This is not about me trimming a few dead leaves off the tree. This is about being uprooted once again. How free do I want to be? Am I really clear that I have defects of character, first of all? Because the ego wants to say, no, I just have a couple of shortcomings. Same thing. I need to work on some things. Well, let's talk about my assets. The, build, the book doesn't say that. <laughs> You have assets, wonderful. Defects will kill you. That's what I'm looking at. It was a number of times through the work where I came into touch with something called the seven deadly sins, which me, for me encompasses what we're talking about here when it talks about shortcomings or defects. The seven deadly sins. And these guys, these guys are sneaky and tricky. I don't even know they're working on me. Am I willing to let go of all of them? Well, first I have to take a look at, do I have them? Do I have any of them? And what lengths am I willing to go to let, release them to God, even though I don't know what's going to happen to me? Bill talks about uh, the hole in a donut. I, I'm going to feel I'm going to be empty. Believe it or not, I derive so much of my identity from defects of carrier. This is what makes me, me. One of, one of the things that I held on to that I was really leery about letting go of was trust. Trusting other men, just trusting people in AA. We talk about it. you got to trust the sponsor, trust the process, trust God, clean house, help others. Trust. I was brought up with don't trust anyone. I was brought up the only thing you're going to trust as you get older is the money in your pocket. Trust no man or no woman. You just don't do that. Life will devour you. I come into AA and they're telling me trust. I how much? I had to re release it completely. Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to release this? How free do I want to be? And it kept going back to step one. If I continue to hold on to the steering wheel, if I always do what I always did, I'm always going to get what I always got. If I keep my hand on the wheel, I'm going to wind up drunk, and I don't want that. 
So I'll do the three meetings a day. I'll write the inventory. I'll go with hat in hand and make amends. I'll do whatever I need to do. I will do it. When my sponsor sent me to Al-Anon with about two years into recovery or three years into recovery, I reluctantly went, but I went. And when I developed an eating disorder early on in recovery, and my sponsor took me to another fellowship, and I went through the steps there and talked about that in therapy, I didn't want to go, but I did it, because the soul was talking for me. The soul was leading me. If the head would have, I would never gone. But these seven deadly sins are deadly. I see through the seven deadly sins, or see through the mind. And if I'm seeing through that, it's bad vision, which means I have bad behavior. I'm coming out of pride. I'm coming out of anger. I'm coming out of greed and gluttony and lust and envy and sloth. I'm coming out of that place. And it knows, these things know how to disguise themselves. When the book says I'm a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind, it's disguising itself. Look, I'm being really kind to you. No, I'm not. I'm a me-seeker. I'm a me-pleaser. I want everyone to think what a great guy. There's nothing altruistic at all in what I'm doing. And the thing about uh, uh, defects of character, usually by the time I get in touch with them, they devoured me. And if I don't go to God and have God deal with these defects of character, they will deal with me. And if I don't get drunk, I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards a drink. Everyone else can see it. Pride, the mother of all seven deadly sins. That's the king. That begets all the others. And it doesn't want to go anywhere. And for me, pride is playing God. I am God. Now, I'm not going to tell you I'm God. But inwardly, I know I'm God. The group doesn't do it right. I know how to do it. Did you ever sit in a meeting, big book step work, uh, shop, uh, workshop, and somebody's supposed to speak on step three and doesn't cover step three? We want to ban them from the group now. We're sitting back there. They, oh, don't misquote the book around these people. Because they're God. They know how the group conscience should go, what everyone should be doing. They know how everything should be. Playing God. I wake up in the morning. My book says don't play God. I wake up and I know exactly what the day is going to look like and who's going to say what and who's going to do who. And I'm locking and loading and waiting for them because I'm God. I'm right. You're wrong. And, and pride's best friend is ego. They hang out together. I have anger. Inwardly and outwardly. Replaying old stuff. Or living in the wreckage of the future. Old stuff, wreckage of the future. Old stuff, wreckage of the future. Never present. It's a 10-minute loop. Before, later on, before, later on. And everything's making me angry. And anger insists that I'm right. It's a roadblock to love, peace, and understanding. Look at the world right now. A lot of people are angry. Nothing's getting done. It's only getting worse. I can have that walking around acting polite to you. Acting, would you like some coffee? Take my seat. And underneath, I'm seething. They didn't call on me. They, they went around the room. They didn't call on me. I had good things to share. <laughs> Anger. You know, we wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning at a 5.02, and I'm in a heated argument with someone who died 30 years ago. I'm flying off the handle. Now, listen, I'm human. I'm going to get angry. Right now, I'm very angry with the Yankees. I'm not talking to them. I don't like the way they're playing. I'm very angry. I take this stuff personally. We can, we can get angry, but am I living in anger? I'm boiling all the time. Anything sets me off. Spill the milk. It's going to be one of those days. 
Why are they doing this to me? I look at greed. How much is enough? When I get to a place where, in my soul, what I, I would like more, but what I have is enough, I'm traveling light. But greed doesn't like that. Greed needs more. It bleeds right into being gluttonous. I need more. I need more of everything. In fact, I'm so greedy, I have two loaves of bread on me, and you're hungry, and I won't offer you any. In fact, I'll look to take any money you have in your pocket, because it's all about me. Greed, I want more. I want more of everything. I want more notoriety. I want more of everything. Gluttony. I mean, this week I can identify what I'm an alcoholic. Just give me more. I was stuck in more for years. More drink. More drugs. More this. Get sick. I need more. Just give, keep giving me more. But I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I see guys blowing up. They go to the gym, and they start taking juice to get even bigger. Now they're on steroids. I need more. I see a guy who's going to the gym, and he looks great. I say, my God, this guy's in great shape. His clothes look good on him. I mean, look at this guy. And he's talking to me about diet and nutrition. I'm saying, I've got to be like this guy. Then I start sponsoring him and find out vanity's driving him. He has to be like that. Or the guy who's working two jobs. I'm like, my God, this guy's a go-getter. He's always got money. He's always working. I need to be like that. Then I get close to him when we talk, and I find out greed is driving him. He needs more money. He never has enough money. And he has plenty. Greed, gluttony. Lust. Not only sexual lust, where I stop uh, doing things like infidelity and hurting people and using people for my self-seeking needs. And sex is very often about power and control and affirmation. It's rarely about love unless I really love someone. That's what it's about. Get another notch on my belt. Women are just as guilty as men here. Manipulating. I use sex. I just want more. I'm a glutton. I'm an alcoholic. I I made love. I need to make love 46 more times. And I'm going to get whoever I have to. I... I'm not being alone tonight. Did you ever do this? You break up with him or her on Monday afternoon. Monday night, I'm bedding down with somebody. I'm not going to bed alone tonight. And I'll use people. But what about lust for power? Countries drop bombs on other countries. Lust for power. Lust for power and Alcoholics Anonymous. I need to be the chairperson, the treasurer, the speaker-getter. I need to do everything. I need to know traditions. I need to know concepts. I need to let you know that I know them. I need to be the guy. I need to walk into me and say, there he is. It's a lust for power. And I hurt people. I level people in that process. And don't stop me from doing it because I'll level you. That's lust for power. I'm blinded by, by, uh, from the truth. Envy. I want what you have. Not get something like you have. I want what you have. It's next to coveting. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. I don't want a girlfriend. I want your wife. I don't want a Cadillac like you. I want your Cadillac, and I don't want you to have one. Envy. When my best friend comes into money who gets a promotion, I hate him. I don't say congratulations. Way to go. We came up together. I'm glad you got a break. Way to go. I might say that, but I don't mean it. I hate him for it. I was in the light, in the life many years ago, and my life was burning down. 
And my kid brother was the white collar guy who went to college. I'm on the streets. My other brother took off for California to become an actor. And my kid brother takes a job on Wall Street, uh, some famous firm, and he, he was good. And uh, the first Christmas uh, he got, I remember it was like 1986 or something, 1985. And he got a Christmas bonus for $25,000. That's a nice dollar now, let alone back then. And he was new. And he was so happy. I remember calling up his girlfriend, and he wanted to take her on vacation. My dad was so proud. It's my kid brother. I should be going, way to go. I remember the hours you studied the books to be somebody, and the boss fell in love with you, gave you this wonderful bonus for Christmas. How cool is that? I hated my brother. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Envy. Jealousy right next to that. Why not me? Well, you're smoking dope and drinking all day. That might have something to do with it. <laughs> my own brother. And when I was sitting in a treatment center, halfway house in Minnesota, I was supposed to be my brother's best man, but I was incapable of tying my own shoes. And I was in Minnesota and I couldn't go to the wedding. And I heard about the great time my brother had at his wedding and all the people they had a huge wedding and all the fun they had. Instead of calling my brother and saying, congratulations, I really screwed up. I couldn't be there for you. I hated my brother because he was happy. I wanted, I wanted his life. I wanted him to be in a sober house. I wanted him to experience pain and suffering. That's just cruel. That's envy. It blocks friendship. It blocks fellowship. It blocks love. And sloth. I'm 50 pounds overweight, and I'm still ordering Domino's pizza. I got a buddy right now, I just, I just heard uh, this afternoon. He stopped taking care of himself. And he's experiencing health problems because of it. I don't do anything. I just lay around. I'm too lazy to even get up and get a cup of coffee. I'm too lazy to go cross town for a meeting. I just lay around. But what about spiritually slothful? I'm too lazy to pray. I don't really feel like praying. I'll pray tomorrow. I won't go to the work this week. I'll go through next week. I go to the next workshop. I get a sponsor tomorrow. I'm going to do the steps tomorrow. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to get into meditation, but not right now. I'm not going to go to church. It's, uh, it's a Sunday. I need to rest. The God said rest on the seventh day. I don't need to go. <laughs> now, I'm spiritually slothful. And what begins to happen is life becomes my master now. Life begins to devour me. It's eating my lunch, and I'm becoming more angry and more frustrated and more restless and more irritable, and I don't know the way out except for one place, and I will be brought to that, and, and my alcoholism doesn't care how long I'm sober, but there's a default button that says Jack and Coke, double vodka, hit the button, I'll order it. Just to shut this down, I need relief. I need relief from the noise. I need relief from the tension, and I'm an alcoholic, and I drink alcohol. And my alcoholism is not impressed with me giving you a talk tonight. It's not impressed with my 34 years of sobriety. It doesn't care. It'll wait. And it can't come at me with a drink. It can't come at me with powder. It'll start with defects of character. What am I going to do about this stuff? This really is a first step for life right now. It is a turning point for a guy like me. 
It isn't about mechanics at this point. I mean, I need some mechanics. It's about my intent to surrender everything to God and let him take this malleable chunk of clay and do whatever he wants with it. None of my business. Take me like the wretch I am and fix me. I need to be in here deep. I'm a wretch. This is what I do. Give me anything, I will destroy it on my best day, untreated. We know I do that drunk. Now, if anyone's sitting here and getting uncomfortable, trust me, it's just your ego you met. Because the ego gets uncomfortable with discussions like this. I've met a ton of guys in my weekends doing workshops. And there's always that break for lunch on a Saturday. And you get that guy kind of moseys up to you. He can't, he's looking at his shoes. Now I've done it so many times, I know what he's coming at me with. You got a minute? I want to say, not really, but yeah, I do. And um, I'm struggling with something. I know where we're going here. It's lust. Acting out. Watching things on his phone and laptop at all hours of the night. No one knows about it. He's got a secret set. Like, Bill talks about this. I'm married, but I'm running around for that woman who might understand. Bill talks about this. No one else knows, but it's killing me. I can't even look at myself in the mirror anymore. That person is not going to get past that until he comes to terms with these powers to fix it. I can't work on my defects. They will work on me. I have no power to touch them. All I can do is surrender them. Am I willing to go all the way into the forest? It was, it was really, really uncomfortable for me to go to my sponsor and come to terms with and, and verbalize I'm binging and purging. I have an eating problem. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I was in treatment enough times, and I only saw women with eating disorders. I didn't think men had it. I thought it was strictly a gender thing, even in sobriety. So when I had to go to my spots and tell them what I'm doing when no one's around, it was just crushing me. And my sponsor says, I go to OA, been going for years. You're coming with me. I said, you're kidding me. He's looking at the size of me. <laughs> I didn't put it together. And when I, I went and I met some folks, I said, like when I came here, you too? Secretly, a lot of double winners, AA and the other fellowship. I didn't want to come to terms with that, let alone tell someone about it, but it needed to be done. It was like the fist of Gulliver reached down there and pulled it out. And then I walk into some freedom and I'm traveling light. I've been, I've been uh, afraid of success, and I've been afraid of failure, both. I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. I don't mean success be a, a big shot at some, you know, big corporation, uh, uh, a Bill Gates guy. I, I don't want that. But successful in my career. Marion says, you're not successful? How many people have you helped? Oh, you need money attached to success. Oh, I see how that goes. So money determines the man. Now here comes another defect. And they just keep coming. You know, open up the door. Here they come. I'm afraid of failing. I have failed repeatedly. I read something about Michael Jordan, who we know, if anyone knows Michael Jordan, he was probably the greatest ever and hit a million game-winning shots. But he missed more than he, than he made. 
but he, and he, was, he knew the game's on the line, but give me the ball. He was willing to go all the way out there. I failed a million times. I dust myself up, get back in the saddle and keep riding, and God goes with me. Am I willing to be completely transformed into something I don't even know what it's going to look like until I arrive? But it has to be better than what I'm doing right now. I'm traveling heavy a lot. So it tells me this. We emphasize willingness as being indispensable, absolutely required. I can't do without it. So again, over and over and over again, this book is throwing the word willingness out there. They don't say do anything, just are you willing to do it? The sponsor may say, are you willing to join a new home group? And I say, I'm not joining a new home group. I didn't say that. Are you willing to join a new home group? Am I now ready to let God remove from me all the things I admitted are objectionable, the things I saw in step five, the considerations my sponsor gave me? Am I willing to cut them loose? Cut bait with every one. I don't know where I'm going, but I know where I've been. And God's given me a mustard seed to keep going. I don't know what this is going to look like. When they said start trusting, I was waiting to get hurt at any minute. Somebody's going to betray me. Someone's going to take advantage of me. Someone's going to think I'm a fool. I'm a coward. I'm too transparent. I missed a goody two-shoes. Joe Spiritual, because you're in AA, you're trusting everyone. I've been hurt in AA. I've been stabbed in the back a few times and betrayed. But for some reason... I don't crash and burn anymore. I've gotten upset. I've gotten angry. I've wept. But I keep riding, chop wood, carry water, because Marion turned me on to something in Scripture one time. Put on God's armor. Put on God's armor. But the defects got to go first. In his way, in his time. You know, think about defects. I knew a guy in Staten Island. uh, We were talking about six and seven one time, and he said... He was loud, pompous, arrogant, and he knew it. You could hear him sharing in Philadelphia, and he lived in Staten Island. He was just one of those guys, and he knew it. And he says, I've been praying to God to make me more mild-mannered, more tender, a more genteel guy. He says, all he did, God, was just take off some of the edges. I cleaned up my language a little bit. That's what's changed. And his sponsor said to him, we'll call him Joe. He says, Joe. Do you realize the type of guys you sponsor? All the roughnecks who come in off the street out of prison, they need a guy like you. God doesn't want you changing that much. Your message gets through. There's no wiggle room with these guys. Let God be God. And that's when he found freedom. Conversely, you get the the meek, mild-mannered, genteel guy wants to be the, the roughneck, and God said, no, 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 no. I need you to work for me, and your approach works for them. Leave it alone. I'm just going to trim some edges. So sometimes with these defects, God's just going to trim them down, and sometimes he's going to remove them. None of my business. I just stand at the altar in the raw. Take me like the wretch I am. This is the W-O-R-K we talk about. This is the work. It's not about reciting the book and, and quoting the book and sounding profound. Anyone can do that. Get a college kid, let them study the first 164 pages. They'll come back and give a phenomenal talk. No transformation. Information or transformation. It says, can he now take them all, every one? I hope my God's big enough to do it. 
Is my God big enough to do this? Back in step five, it says these are about to be cast out. Imagine going to your therapist's office and saying, listen, um, here's everything that's wrong with me. Cast them out. They'll medicate me. But we're talking about God here. He's about to cast them out. I just need to be willing. Can he take them all, everyone? Can he now take them all, everyone? I've looked at that a billion times in my years. And one day I saw it from a different angle. Same words, but a different spin on it. I think the word is rhetorical. I'm not sure. But it would be like I'm walking into the meeting to set up. I'm one of the trusted servants here who set up. And I got a case of big books. I got a coffee pot. Both my arms are like this. And I got the keys to get in the door of my teeth. And I'm struggling along and everything falls. And I picked them up and do it again, and they fall again. And Mike says, let me help you. I, said, I got it. I got it. I got it, God, I got it. And I, I stumble and fall on my butt. And I scrape my legs and everything. And Mike comes over and says, can he now take them all, everyone? Can I take these off you now? Are you done? That's how I look at that question. Can he now take them all, everyone? Are you done wrecking your life and everyone else? Can God do this for you? Will you let go? That's how I look at that question. Yes, I will. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how fast God's going to work. But I'm standing there. I'm letting go. If I still cling to something like honesty, dishonesty, as I said earlier, I ask God to help me be willing because I have no power to do this. So I ask God to help me be willing. Father, please, willingness to let this go. I know this is not good. I'm just afraid of what happens to me if I do let it go. If it does, you do take it from me. Root and branch, what's going to happen to me? I've had days in recovery that have been incredibly challenging. I've been flat broke in recovery. And God's kept me very humble with when it comes to finances. I've worked for bosses that really should have been put in jail. I'm in an industry with a lot of moving parts. I told Rich, I'm only 18. My industry makes me look this old. <laughs> a lot of people come in who don't even want to get better, have no interest in getting sober. But you, you, you plug away. You, somebody's got to do it. And God called me to do this work. I truly believe that. So you put one foot in front of the other. And with those type of difficulties... Why? Well, I said, God, are you paying attention here? Do you see what's going on? As if he doesn't. And what I need to do is just go back to God and be patient with God because he's been patient with me. And here's what's always happened. You go through this dark spot. You go through this upheaval. You go through this what feels like challenges or hardships. And all he's doing is pruning the tree. I just need more confidence in God. Here he's going again. It's, I don't know why he's doing it, but I know he's doing it. Just ripping some more stuff down because he wants nothing blocking me from him. I need to practice fidelity to God, not practice fidelity to my money and infidelity to God. And as soon as that gets in the way, he says, okay, let's get the, the dumpster and start loading stuff in there because you're getting blocked again. My old sponsor asked me a question one time. How much money is enough money for you? And I said, a million dollars. He keep going. Five million, ten million. And he stopped me. He says, just enough money not to need God. Wow. Greed. Yeah. So I surrender this stuff. 
Uh, I didn't get to step seven tonight. Hopefully, we'll do that next week. Uh, just uh, so you know, in my morning prayers, I can't command the Spirit to do anything. I've gotten that, clear on that. But my prayers are really like centering me, willing to be changed by Him. So I love our Lord's Prayer. I say serenity prayer in the morning. I do the third and seventh step prayer in the morning. I love the way they sound. They center me. It reminds me who's in charge and who I'm actually praying to. And there's something by an author, and I'll get out of your way, um, a, a book that I've worked with. It's just, it's just gold for me. And he says this. The man who does not permit his spirit to be beaten down and upset by dryness and helplessness, but who lets God lead him peacefully through the wilderness and desires no other support or guidance than that of pure faith and trust in God alone, will be brought to the promised land. He will taste the peace and joy of union with God. He will, without seeing, have a habitual, comforting, obscure, and mysterious awareness of his God present and acting in all events of his life. The man who is not afraid to abandon all his spiritual progress into the hands of God, what I've been talking about, all of it. Get done with a meeting and people say great talk, get in the car and say, thank you, Father, for those words because they didn't come from me. The man who is not afraid to abandon all his spiritual progress into the hands of God to put prayer, virtue, merit, grace, and all gifts in the keeping of him from whom they must all come will quickly be led to peace in union with God. His peace will be all the sweeter because it will be free of every care. I'm going to trust God or not. Everything goes to God. Everything goes through God. Everything's for God. Everything's about pleasing God. And suddenly I'm traveling lighter. Oh, and I'm sober. What a deal. I could be a maximum service to others. I don't have to hide when people come in. I don't have to hide when I'm walking down the block. And when the, the thing about waking up little by slowly is that sometimes you can hear the defects turn in the corner. You're in an uncomfortable situation, maybe being tempted in certain directions, or maybe in a heated discussion with that group member, that bleeding deacon, and you're trying to, okay, God, what do I do? Just be peaceful. And you hear anger turning the corner. You can almost hear it. Here comes greed. Here comes some lust. Whatever it might be. It's 4 o'clock in the morning, and God wakes me up like he usually does, and it's, well, I'll sleep till 6. And you can hear that slothfulness turning the corner, but enough spiritual must to say, no, I'm not listening. Thanks for sharing, but I'm going to listen to God. So I chop wood and carry water, and uh, hopefully I brought you a step, step 6 tonight. That's all I got. Peace. Let's give Peter another hand. Oh, my God. <clears throat> so I want to bring Joey up for the secretary report. I am uh, Joey, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hello. Uh, in keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, we have some folks passing the basket around. As the basket is going around, I've asked Brooks 
to come read the recovered statement. We read this to notice why many people in this group may identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly means to be recovered alcoholic. Please welcome Brooks. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than, rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. Thank you, Brooks. All right. <clears throat> 1940s-style Big Book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Beautiful. All right. Um, at this time, may I ask anyone out there that would need a sponsor, if you could raise your hand. No? Okay, cool. It's all right if you're shy. And, you know, anyway, please see someone whose hands are raised now. For all you recovered alcoholics, please raise your hand. Please see the hands raised if you wanted some guidance there. Um, all right, so it is the last meeting of the month. Anyone besides Mike Chase uh, celebrating this month? Please stand up. Sorry. Hi, what's your name? Gloria. Gloria, how, ma how many years? Awesome. Okay, so we got some announcements uh, right now. Intergroup, uh, you can go buy some A literature, medallions responsible for creating the where and when, scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and pay them a visit. Next. BCIC, responsible for bringing meetings in to where people like us can't get out uh, to a meeting, such as jails, detox, rehabs, they meet. Uh, monthly to organize these meetings at the 12-step house. Is anyone here BCIC? That's okay. Um, pop over to 12-step house and uh, check it out. Uh, we do have some volunteer commitments. Please see the flyers in the back for those. And the 65th Florida State Convention is going to be a good time. I think there's flyers as well for more on that. Peter M. is gracing us with his presence continually. We'll go over 
step seven or wherever the Lord takes them, I guess. It's cool. Uh, grateful for that. And then we have our meeting upstairs, uh, Chapel in the Sky, third floor, Monday. It's my home group. It's awesome. Uh, we go, go through the big book step by step or page by page. And uh, 7.15, fellowship at, at 6.30 with cookies. We love cookies. Um, presented by Alan. All right. I think that's it. Um, we do have CDs, mugs, large print, large print, big books, excuse me, little red books and big book dictionaries for sale, beautifully displayed in the back. So if you all would like to procure some, please see a group member. Mike Chase is, yeah, presenting, yes. Okay. Uh, we meet every Thursday here, uh, seven fifteen. Come early for some great fellowship and some cookies or treats. You never know. Uh, we ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. We have tonight's sessions and all the past speakers podcast at alcoholicsandgod.org. Invite everyone to our Monday night. Oh, come to our Monday night big book study. And also those who would wish to thank tonight's speaker to line up down the center aisle. And let's close with the Lord's prayer where we are. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time Outside my door Never before I had to change everything To realize That today is the best day of my God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah. 